Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box, a worker at Channel 10 tests positive to COVID-19, but has the network done enough to protect its staff? Twitter claims another victim as a high-profile TV star is attacked viciously. And first reactions to the big new battle for eyeballs as 7 and 10 unleash their big new shows. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. TV Black Box is about to start. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. And it's a very big hello to David Robinson, who joins the TV Black Box team as a permanent member. Hello, Robbo. Hooray! Yay! Hello. Uh, sorry, I thought I was. I thought this was a reboot of the And Robin Robbo show. Is this? I, is this? Don't that? bring up. They are yeah. unfair yeah. words. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Do not mention that show. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Oops. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to be part of the team. Robbo's on the Gold Coast. Malk joins us from Sydney. Hello, Malky. Coming to you live from the Met Gala, uh, Rob. And let me tell Ooh. you, the dress I've chosen to wear is amazing. <laughs> Your friend really is lovely, my cleavage. It does. <laughs> Aaron Ryan joins us from Perth. Hello, Aaron. Hello, gorgeous people. Lovely to have Robbo on board. I'm very excited. The gays are taking over the world. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> People didn't know. That was going to be a big reveal in episode seven. <laughs> all right. And all the way from Florida is Sarah Monaghan. Hello, Sarah. Someone had to bring the vagina to the group. <laughs> I thought I did that. Other than me, Sarah. <laughs> well, a pussy and a vagina, two different things. <laughs> okay. And of course, I'm Rob McKnight coming to you from the Gold Coast. Let's get into the stories of the week. And as COVID-19 cases soar in New South Wales, a worker at Channel 10's Piermont office has tested positive to the virus. As exclusively revealed on TV Black Box, a note sent out by the National Health and Wellbeing Manager advises anyone considered a close contact to stay at home immediately. It's understood Studio 10 has the most number of staff affected, including host Tristan McManus. In further news, Kevin Perry reveals the 10 network has so far failed to implement a rapid COVID testing protocol for essential employees working inside its Sydney studio facility and has instead been advising staff that if they have symptoms, they should attend a public testing service. Robert, we've both worked in this building and that cafe next door has gone. The Studio 4 cafe is gone. 10 reinstated their internal cafe. There's not a lot of coffee options, so a lot of people would have gone through that internal cafe, and it was the barista who has COVID. 
Well, yeah, you, you could imagine that all of those people really want their coffees. Uh, it's much easier to go there. There is a coffee shop still open for takeaways about halfway up uh, a street there crossing the IGA. But, you know, TV people are precious people and they can't be forced <laughs> to walk 20 metres. Uh, so they've implemented this. It's quite a sp- small space really up there if you get down to the, the funnel end of where they put the cafe that where it used to be one as well. Uh, I would assume that the majority of that building should be considered a close contact. Uh, and because you just, it's such a small area. I can't imagine there was a lot of social distancing because who's policing it. And that's such a massive problem in it, Robbo, because uh, it has a huge impact on a place that is now the production hub for most of 10's news. Obviously studio 10 at that time of day that they're talking about will have been the primary concern, but because, you know, editors, producers, even journalists are in that building from Sparrow's fart. Um, a lot of people will have possibly been in contact with someone who has been exposed. And I'm actually quite amazed um, at uh, not at Kevin's great reporting, but at his reporting that, um, that 10 haven't come up with any kind of standard protocol, people are in and out, right? Like, it's an amazing thing to hear that Foxtel have got, you know, their process in place. You've got to go up to a certain floor to get tested or, you know, get into the rest of the building. Seven have everyday testing, you know, uh, nine headed in the same path. I think it's an amazing, it's an amazing situation in September mm. 2021 that one of our major news services doesn't have a protocol in place to deal with a way to keep all of its staff as protected as they can from something like the coronavirus, which has been, like, it didn't start last week. We've had this going around Australia and the world, I appreciate, but for around Australia for at least sort of 12, 18 months. I find this absolutely bizarre. How a network can gamble like this, was it a budget decision? And what a strange budget decision that, because long-term, if they're having to get a lot of freelancers in to cover shifts, um, that's going to cost them a lot of money. And it also means you've really got no control. This, I just can't fathom why they're not doing this rapid testing. They're leaving so much to chance. And if somebody gets really sick and dies, is it then on the network because they weren't providing protections for their employees? I absolutely mm. hope, absolutely hope that it is not a budgetary decision that has meant that this is the way they're dealing with it because that is diabolical. I, I, I don't want to start that rumour. No, I'm no, not no. saying that, Mark. It's, it's all supposition I acknowledge. I'm just saying I hope it's not that. Without getting too political here, do you think this is also how, you know, the way New South Wales is going to respond to a crisis like this or, you know, how how COVID affects New South Wales and Gladys Berejiklian's way that, it, that New South Wales has responded is going to be different to another state? So if this happened, what I'm saying mm-hmm. is if this happened in Queensland or happened in South Australia or WA, this would be a completely different way of responding to something. But No, because Seven's not doing it that way, right? Like Seven's very... Mm. And also they're setting the the terms for the whole network. So what they implement in Sydney is what they implement in Melbourne and Brisbane. And Melbourne and Sydney are the two big hubs for daily programming. I, I, I don't understand this at all, but we just have to see how this plays out. And 
thank you to the people who tipped us off and have given us information because this is a story that needs to be told. And in more COVID news, Sunrise has reportedly become the first television program in Australia to implement a mandatory vaccine policy after an employee tested positive in their Martin Place studios last month. As reported by The Australian, this is particularly relevant for the show's freelance hair and makeup staff who may work at other networks and are in contact with a wide range of people. I've got to say, Sarah, they've already had one COVID scare. This seems fair enough to me. So Natalie Barr, David Kosh, Edwina Bartholomew, Mark Beretta and Michael Pell, the executive producer, are laying down the law saying unless you've had the vaccine, you can't work here. Eddie's pregnant. Koshi said, I'm 65 years old. I'm getting older. I am in a danger zone. I absolutely think this is fair enough. What do you think? I think so too, because they actually did do the poll among the staff and the staff overwhelmingly came out. It was like three quarters said, yes, absolutely. 74% or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, if they voted for it and they feel safer doing that, then absolutely. And people, you know, hair and makeup, you're in someone's face. Yeah. Close breathing on someone's face for an extended period of time. Like I can do my makeup at home in like legit four minutes and I'll go in a studio and it takes 45. And I'm like, am I that ugly or are you just really taking your time? But I mean, you <laughs> extended breathing in someone's face and then you've got hair and it's also, it's always a small closed room where everybody gossips. So, I mean, absolutely. If you're in there, you should be vaccinated. Um, I'm wondering if they will then spread out to other staff. But, I mean, at the moment, hair and makeup is probably the most in your face and everyone else can, you know, keep their six-foot distance. Like we were saying before, you've got to protect your product. And if you lose your main, you know, cogs of your factory, you're stuffed. So I think this is a really good idea. Um, and, if look, if people don't want to be vaxxed that work in those kind of close industries... That's their choice, but then I really I think it's unfair for them to be still think they can be considered for employment, especially if you're in hair and makeup, like Sarah said, you're very up close. This is just the the way of the world now, um, and I think this is a really good thing. Protect your product. Absolutely. Don't just hope for the best, like uh, the other blokes. Yeah. Well, Twitter has claimed another victim after ABC presenter Lisa Miller deactivated her account. With over 54,000 followers, Miller has been on the receiving end of some truly vile and distressing personal attacks. That's according to her News Breakfast co-host, Michael Rowland. Now, Mock, it's an unfortunate side of fame and success. Is mm-hmm. this something she has to cop on the chin or do trolls need to be held accountable? Firstly, Twitter did nothing. People on Twitter... Did stuff. Horrendous people with horrendous yep. views. And then Twitter did nothing because they didn't do anything about it. <laughs> In part, yes, that, that becomes the problem. However, the sheer volume of horrendous comments and claims and abuse and all sorts of things that get thrown in just Lisa's direction in this instance is almost too hard to report, to keep up with and, and, you know, address, because understandably Twitter aren't going to do anything unless they're told about it, blah, blah, blah. Um, Lee Sales has come out in the last 24 hours and written an incredible article about her experience reflecting on Lisa's experience in the similar way um, and, and kind of, I guess, kind of counterpointing it against the fact that as journalists who work in the political sphere particularly, they have often copped you know, an earful, you know, statements, backhanders, all sorts of things from politicians. 
And for some, that's led to, uh, you know, a series of harassing texts or phone calls or all sorts of things. And uh, in the story that Lee outlines, you know, I forwarded, you know, one message back to the PMO and I received an apology from that minister the next day. You know, it kind of it just yeah. got addressed. And that is in part how it needs to happen. If someone's going to be outrageous, someone gets their ass kicked and they apologise and we move on. I was really reflecting on this because I have to say, largely, my experience on Twitter has been great. And that's because I've probably curated a, a feed of a whole bunch of different people that I like to listen to. I try and keep it pretty broad and open. It's not just people who tell me the things that I want to hear. I like to hear um, some counter opinions, though there are some that I tried to hold on to for the longest time and I just couldn't because they just just kept banging on with the same stuff that really was quite offensive, honestly. I understand absolutely where Lisa and um, Lee and Pat Patricia Cavallis and particularly female journalists on Twitter come from because I've seen the horrendous stuff that is from anonymous accounts, that is from named accounts, actual people, you know, it's saying horrendous things to people. And and but I was the thinking majority that majority are anonymous accounts. Let's be clear on this. Yes, sure. Some people do it from with their real name. I can't give you the stats. There, there's no it's only anecdotal evidence that says that the majority sure. are anything. The, the challenge in this is that up until Twitter came about, all of us normal boring humans didn't have a chance to engage with journalists, let alone stars and all of the reasons that you might want to be a part of Twitter. It is a phenomenal tool for journalists because it does allow you to connect into breaking news here and see and even report you know, the latest developments on what's happening. Hmm. The, the the benefits and it has become the detraction of Twitter, Twitter is that it's allowed me, as an example, to be able to speak directly to people who run shows, people who hmm. are journalists on programs, stars, all of those sorts of things. Whether they choose to respond is up to them. And and I'm not, I don't, well, that's I'm not how doing we got to know stuff. each other. That's right. Um, I'm, like, I'm not throwing any, you know, horrible statements at them. However, it does provide people that platform to be able to do so. It's it's outrageous that anybody thinks that it is okay to speak to someone that they do not know in the way that they have been. I think it is horrendous that people have been saying um, some of the vile things that they have, particularly to female journalists, sexual mm. innuendo, sexual statements, suggesting that they are supporters of this party and they are tied to whatever, whatever. Mate, That's it's just, it is outrageous that this has been the experience of anybody on this planet. Now, a couple of things on this. Someone, building off what you said, Mulk, someone tweeted me when we broke the news, uh, Leo Puglisi broke the news, we put it out there through TV Blackbox as well, crediting him. But someone tweeted me saying anyone with a blue tick should not have the right to block anyone and should have to accept anything that's said about them. I, I push back a bit against that big time, as you can imagine. But secondly, just in the last 24 hours, so the Australian's uh, Sophie Ellsworth, she posted a story about um, Lee Sales and she said, high-profile journalists, including Lee Sales, have voiced their concerns about Twitter's relevance to the industry, with an increasing number of media professionals opting to abandon the site altogether. I replied to that, just put a comment in, saying Twitter is certainly not reflective of mainstream Australia. The things that become big issues here are irrelevant to most Aussies. Then, 
the pile-on started. So people who aren't in my sphere, aren't in my world, don't follow me, all started attacking me about old media, you know, all this kind of stuff, tried to attack what I do, went looking at my profile. And instead of having a discussion about what I had said, one, told me I was wrong, which is fine, but then started trying to attack me. And, you know, that stuff, when it keeps coming, can get people down. Now, I, I... try to stand up to bullies and won't, you know, like I, I'm pretty forthright in my responses to them. I don't get personal, but I will talk <laughs> to them about the issues. But even when you use logic and reason with these people, they don't want to hear that. They're all from anonymous accounts. They all just want to attack because you disagree with their viewpoint on life. And I think this is the danger of Twitter. It's extremist views. There are extremist views that allow people to anonymously attack anyone who disagrees with them. And I'll put it out there, Mike Carton. It's not just I said Twitter, something though. innocuous in a reply to one of his tweets and got the block. That is his right. But there are people out there who don't want to engage in any level of conversation. They do want the echo chamber. And, Aaron, I do think Twitter needs real names. You want to make a statement. You have to be held accountable. I think this is really important going forward If you want to say something, if you want to mock someone, attack them, you need to be held accountable. Absolutely, for sure. I mean, my handle is uh, at Aaron Perth on Twitter, and I can honestly say that I never once sent a message um, from some anonymous account to anybody. I wanted to add something, you know, you think, oh, we're having an intelligent conversation about this, but I really just got to take the the low bar on this and say that some people out there are just weak pieces of shit mm-hmm. that hide behind a keyboard mm-hmm. and for just a moment just a moment they think that they, they are strong and powerful and tough sending out vile and disgusting comments while actually being weak and pathetic and hiding behind some anonymous account it's fair criticism of someone in the media you know written by someone that that is prepared to stand up and write it from a from a verified account with their real name and email address you know it's game on in the public eye especially for those that are on a large platform giving their opinion they should expect some opposition um, and an opposing point of view. Um, but to Lisa Miller, all I'll say is de- deactivate your account for a while, but do not lose one night of sleep over these weak, faceless pieces of garbage. With, the, with dudes, it's different because you guys get disagreements and people call you a dickhead and all that. But when you're a woman it gets doubled down because not only do people call you an idiot, but then they start sending mm. rape threats and like, you know, yeah, there's all this misogyny yeah. and stuff and it's, it's so yeah. sexual and it's just, it's ridiculous. And yes, I agree. Like I get that Twitter is supposed to like, they have anonymous in case, you know, you're a whistleblower or whatever, but I think that absolutely everyone should be verified because number one, it stops people impersonating people. It stops trolling. It stops all kinds of shit. And Twitter just it needs to start. It like, won't though. It won't, though. As, as we discussed, while a large proportion, sure, are anonymous accounts, there's a whole bunch of people who have their names, where they work or whatever, you know, views not uh, whatever. Yes, but then they can be held accountable. But no, they're not, Rob, and that's the problem. They're not held accountable. But they because, are because if their employer finds out what they're saying and doing, that employer has a choice whether to keep employing them. When they're doing it from an, a fake account, and you know No, what? but the employer doesn't. No, see, this is the problem. 
The employer doesn't own their personal time. Well, that's a whole different argument, but you could argue is reflective of an employer's values if they're threatening rape against someone that employer has to make a decision whether they want that person working for them. I'm not saying that they are that, that their views are valid and that they should no, be able I know. to say I this. Know. Like I'm not I'm not in no. that situation. No, no, I know. All I'm suggesting is that if you're, you know, Joe Public that works at kebab shop or or you know does traffic control or those sorts of things, if you say something horrendous to someone at whatever level, your employer doesn't have a right to make a claim over you about what you can and can't do. It's, it's a whole different argument, to be honest. We're going on a tangent, but all I would say is that it's having not... real names will make people think twice. And, yes, there may still be an element of that mulk, but I can tell you, I feel, from my anecdotal evidence, the abuse on Twitter would drop by about 80%, the vile abuse. I agree I'm it will reduce. I'm difference of opinion. If people are verified, it reduces the anonymous accounts, which yes. make up a large portion of this. Look, Correct. it is outrageous that anybody yep. faces any of this down. All right. Seven News reporter and former Bachelorette Georgia Love has been demoted to a production role after sparking controversy over an Instagram post. Georgia posted a video of a cat sitting inside an Asian restaurant with the caption, shop attendant or lunch. She later deleted the video, issuing an apology, saying that it was meant to be a joke about an animal being in a restaurant at lunch service time, not an insinuation about the type of restaurant. Another post of Georgia's also resurfaced last week with a similar joke made in 2013. She has since been dumped as an ambassador for Chadstone Shopping Centre in Melbourne following the controversy. So, Sarah, did the punishment fit the crime here? So I was reading to my husband the rundown of what we were going to be talking about, and I told him this, and I showed him the picture, and he said, but I ate cat in China. So um, he he was like, you know, is it bad taste? Is it casual racism? You're not allowed to... I mean, I get that it's casual racism, but also it's like you can't make a joke about anything anymore. And if it's true because you eat cats in China, I don't know. Look, it's a fair point. And look, none of us are Asian. None of us have had this stereotype thrust against us. But you know what? How far do the Twitter mob want to go when claiming blood? Now, she's been outed over this, right, and she's apologised and seen the error of the, her ways, um, even if it was unintended and, it, and she wasn't trying to be racist. Let's give her the benefit of the doubt here. The fact is it still came across racist, okay? So if she said, you're all, you're all fucked, there's no problem here, then fine, keep the campaign going. But there's this mentality that that as soon as someone does something wrong, we go after them and we will not stop until they're deplatformed, lose their job. Um, well, I, I think there's a I think there's a bit more to it than that for this particular person. So Georgia Love um, has built a brand out of you know not being bullied and and standing up for everyone and mm. and being this you know this shining light in respect to those kind of ideas or those ideals rather. Um, this is tone deaf. Sure. This was stupid, and if you're going to yep. if you're going to project yourself as a certain kind of personality in the world, and I have no doubt George Love is lovely. I've met her many times, worked with her. She's lovely, but if you're going to project that kind of image, then um, you know you fall from a greater height than other people yeah. uh, who are putting these these jokes in there. There is no other way to interpret that joke. 
And okay, especially yeah, yeah. so when not only are you a journalist with a profile, but you've also used that to build your profile by becoming the Bachelorette. So it stretches beyond the fact that she's, air quotes, only a journalist. Mm. George has been a great journalist, done some great jobs before. But because she parlayed into other kind of celebrity to build and grow that opportunity, it makes her an even more high-profile target. This is what I was getting at before with my Koshi comment. If Koshi in, you know, was to say something in a similar kind of vein, you would expect huge blowback compared to um, General Joe on the street, right? General Joe on the street can have an, an offensive position. You say you're an idiot, people don't like him, whatever, whatever, we get on with their lives. The amount of amplification of your message is why, in part this is such a horrendous thing for Georgia to have done. But, 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 uh, Mark, if it was Koshi, Koshi wouldn't be pulled off air. It's also oh, a, a, a thing it? of... No, I really think no, that we'd do a guess massive Koshy's apology. Book, book number three did have probably a gag like this in it. <laughs> I'm sure it did. But I, I just think if networks can get all high and mighty about what they consider to be morally corrupt uh, and things like that... Yep. But weirdly, it's so weird that if you make a lot of money or you're a big star for the network, uh, the the punishments alter. So she's been pulled off, put onto the production desk. Mm-hmm. If sure. it was Koshi, he would be back on there the next day uh, delivering a apology. big apology. Um, yep. And then uh, he'd be back on Wednesday's program and Thursday's program. He would never be suspended off air. And it's, look, it Koshi hasn't happen. said anything like this. Or, well, no, of course not. Not that I can recall. He's a um, great man. I'm not trying to cast aspersions over Koshi. He was just simply an example. No, I guess in that. part you're right. It is the value you are to the network that kind of slices and dices what the punishment is. However, we do also live in, you know, 2021, a post-Me Too scenario, you know, where everything and everyone is kind of almost, we've swung the other way where we are hyper-aware of what everybody says. And I reckon that if somebody with a profile akin to Koshi or whatever was to say something like Georgia did, I don't reckon it would be as simple as a mayor culprit and we get on with the show. Not not nowadays. I think there would be a, um, I, I think the network would sit there and consider how is there's the Twitter reaction, there's the newspaper reaction, and then mm. there's the viewer reaction. Yeah, did, did viewers, anybody notice? Yeah. yeah well, did, 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 viewers, <laughs> did viewers care about what was said um, as much as Twitter? Uh, if we take Koshi off, and we're using him as the example, yeah, sorry, yeah. Koshi. But he's um, a big star, big star. Yeah. Big star. Um, if we take Koshi off, will it cost us viewers... Or if we leave him on, will it cost us more viewers? So there is a an analysis that needs to go on, and it is a business decision. That's right. Aaron, so it's not a moral decision. It's not like um, sometimes you know, morals play in it. You hang oh, on. Oh, absolutely. ABC but at the America end of the day, took though, Roseanne off air because they made a moral decision. They took a big no, risk and cancelled yeah. that show. So it, it's it not going to happen here in Australia. Yeah, They're not going to remove I someone just, who's on that level. Before we spend too much time on this, Aaron, I want one last question. Can Georgia recover from this and get back on air? They can recover if the public perception changes. I I feel like us as humans, aren't we supposed to, um, you know, understand that everyone makes a mistake, but it's what you learn from that mistake and what, what, what is it that you do about that mistake that actually counts? Yes. So in this particular case, if I was seven and this is, I would have thought, and here's, I just wrote something down, it's only a couple of lines, but what my response would have been from Seven, and that is that the views and comments made by employee Georgia Love do not reflect 
the, the views or values of the Seven Network. In this case, Georgia has shown deep regret for the comments and has opted to publicly apologise for these comments on the platform it was posted on. As this is out of character for Georgia and she now accepts full responsibility and understands the nature of why this post may be considered offensive, we will not impose any restrictions or penalty for her employment. The only issue you've got there is you say it's out of character, but there's a post from eight years ago that sort of says it's in character. That would be... I think that's good spin. I love a good bit of spin and I like that. Um, the problem is it came off another... But a comment from eight years ago does not suggest who you are. So sure. she's, what she's made what? Say, but you, got, you, you can't just say that. You've got to look at how these things will be received when you put a statement like that out there. Your statement was perfect until that point because that allowed people to poke a hole. They have an example. Now, look, I like Georgia, by the way. I'm not picking on Georgia, but... My point is when you release a statement, when you're media managing things like that, you have to look at every word you say and how are people going to fight against that. When you say this is out of character, the Twitterati will say, no. They'll dig back got, eight years. We'll, we've got something from eight years. years. I'm just wondering, like, you know, what we're teaching our teenagers, that's all. I was, I was, it was a bigger point. You're 15 years old. You know, you're going to make mistakes in your life. But we're trying to teach people what what, what will you learn and, and what's going to happen next after that mistake. But right now, because we're in that hyper, someone said like the hyperbole of what, all, all of this going on, it's just, oh, no, take you off air. Slap down. Yeah. We don't. We're going to sack this person. We're going to like. It's just. Well, hang yeah, but on. Let's be honest. The timing wasn't great for her because Seven have come off a couple of race racist incidents. The 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 most recent one being the tweet where uh, it said three black men scored the goal or something like that. I, I can't remember the tweet exactly, but it was a whole controversy that um, instead of talking about their skills, talked about their skin color. It was very very silly. But look, this this indeed is the challenge to to round this out, Rob. I was born last millennium. When I made mistakes, I maybe had to front up to some people and apologise, and that was it. Yeah. If they remembered it, they remembered it. Um, mm. It was a, it was a rare mistake made by anybody. It had to get into the paper for anybody to care about it, right? Yeah. Nowadays, you make a mistake. The internet is forever. Doesn't and matter what it is, what you did, how you did it, even if mm. it's an out-of-context statement back then, and, and sure, the last comment from uh, Georgia may have been eight years ago, the problem is that there's now been a second one that has been publicly connected. And even if you've been the sweetest angel in between, two starts to form a pattern. Yep. That's what that's what it says. And if we didn't know about the first one or couldn't remember the first one, it would be an isolated incident and she would have to apologise and we'd all be getting on with our life and not even talking about it. Agreed. The biggest problem for Georgia is she makes a lot of jokes on social media and not everything's going to hit and sometimes you get it really, really wrong and she got it really, really wrong and now she's paying the price. I hope she can come back. But now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah. Thanks, Rob. Former television host Andrew O'Keefe is facing new charges of domestic violence. It's alleged he spat at and scratched a woman during an argument at a home in Point Riper last week. <laughs> Channel 9's The Block is moving to country Victoria next year, according to the Herald Sun. According to the paper, the show is shelling out millions moving to a 79-acre property at Gisborne South. 10's network director of news content, Ross Dagan, has received a call-up to the big leagues with a promotion to parent company, Viacom CBS, in New York. Dagan takes on a newly created senior leadership role responsible for reimagining and aligning the news operations and engineering functions across CBS news and stations. 
Nine has announced a new daily podcast called Nine News Lunch Podcast. The 10-minute national news bulletin is presented by Nine Radio journalists Amy Meehan and Natalie Peters, who lead the newsrooms of 2GB, 3AW, 4BC, and 6PR, and utilizes the resources of Nine News journalists across the country. It will be available every day from 12.30 p.m. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Back to you, Rob. Thank you, Sarah. In a moment, we're going to be talking ratings, not only week 37, but we're going to be talking about Sunday night's big ratings as finales went up against each other and Monday night's ratings when brand new shows took place. As we record this, the team will hear the results for the first time. Their instant reactions right here on TV Blackbox. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's turn our attention to the ratings race for week 37. And Team Red took top honours with a 31.4 network share across the five cap cities. The Blues weren't too far behind on 28.5, while Team 10 had 17.6. The national broadcaster came home with 14.9 and SBS had 7.6. In terms of primary channels, the rankings remain the same, although 10 had a shocking Saturday night where they came six behind SBS and seven mate. Speaking of seven mate, it was the most popular Popular multi-channel. While the Reds took total people, the Blues claimed the 16 to 39 and 25 to 54 demos. Aaron, it's definitely a tale of two cities here. Seven, to me, it looks like they'll win total people for the year, but nine do look set to claim the demos. Yeah, that's uh, very possibly the case, depending whether you're looking at network or um, or, or main channel share. So. Well, actually, I do have the, the year-to-date figures. So the total people as a network, um, sevens in front, 39.3 to nine on 37.2. In 25 to 54, though, um, as you say, uh, nine are in front, 37% to 35.1. But uh, seven are in front in 16 to 39. Um, and uh, nine are in front in under 50 so it's kind of a it's it's a, it's a little bit all over the place but on the main channel shares uh seven is actually in front um which which they may even win the year on the main channel 27.1 to 26.8 for nine but nine are comfortably ahead on the main channel in 25 to 54 16 to 39 and under 50s milk this week we got the first official voz report mm. what did we learn yeah, well, look, we've been getting Voz for a little bit, but what we managed to pick up this week was the first total TV consolidated seven daily program rankings, which is an everyday report that we get that will tell us how last week's overnights have been added to when we add in the yeah. consolidated seven viewing figures and the BVOD figures since that date. So it's a whole bunch of extra figures. The key thing that we learned, and I think we kind of knew was bubbling along anyway, is that drama absolutely benefits from catch-up. Way more people are using drama either as a binge opportunity or as a chance to go, I'll watch the big, shiny, flashy reality show and then I'll catch up on drama when it suits me. 
but ideally in those seven days. And the most critical, I guess, way to point that out is the newsreader's episode from Sunday previous went up a whopping 54%. It cracked a million viewers by the time you add in the Con 7 and the BVOD viewing to its overnight figures, which were about 440, if I think from memory. That's just Five City Metro. It also adds in regional. Sorry, I do need to make sure that's clear. So it's Five City Metro plus regional plus catch-up, Con 7 plus BVOD. Pushed it right over the top. Like that's a huge increase and hopefully gives a bit of heart to drama, um, you know, makers, writers, producers, actors, that there is still a market for their content. It's just not necessarily going to pick up the big buzzy. We're all watching it uh, live over, you know, the overnights like we used to. Indeed. All right. Well, this week we saw the end of some big shows and the start of some big new ones. On Sunday night, The Voice on 7 ended with a high of 1.383 million watching the winner announced and 1.292 million watching the main show. The block came in second on 952,000 and 10's gamble of running the Survivor finale in such a competitive slot kept 10 in the game to some extent. The winner portion had 923,000 and the main show 785,000. The next big battle was Monday night with SAS Australia and The Masked Singer entering the fray, but we'll get to that in a moment. Aaron... You called it the worst programming decision of the year when 10 Moves Survivor up against the voice finale. Do you stand by that assertion? I actually do stand by the decision, and I'll tell you why. It did perform fairly strongly. Um, You can roll the tape if you like, but I never suggested that because the voice was on, it was going to attract 300,000 viewers and do terribly. Up against the voice, it usually does about 700,000, and it has performed very strongly strongly this season. So I didn't think it was going to do less than 700,000. My main argument was that the Tuesday slot gave it free space, and that's the words I used. It gave 10 and advertisers the opportunity to, as I said, what I called free space. Holding Molly on 7 completely sunk to almost like zero viewers. I think it was like 200,000. It was terrible. 10 would have completely owned the night, probably had more viewers than Sunday, perhaps even won the night on the primary channel, and then gave the winner the opportunity the next day to have free space, you know, with all the publicity. Uh, moving it to Sunday created unnecessary clutter and I think was just silly. Um, and just because it did well, it doesn't change the fact that it was a dumb decision. But, but they had a decent share, uh, not spectacular but not a failure there's an argument that if they had put something else on a sunday their share could have been you know their primary channel share could have been less than 10 percent yeah but that's what they would have given up that's fine they would have they definitely would have had a much much lower share but the benefit of being on Tuesday night is is having a huge night. Everyone's watching Australian Survivor. Everyone's talking about it the next day. Everyone's talking about the winner. But it was all a lot of clutter. The next morning, it's oh, who won the voice? Who the the, the block? You know, master ensuite. What happened there? And and then Australian Survivor. It was just it was too much clutter. But it probably did for ten what they wanted to do, which was to be a platform for the week, which had the masked singer coming on the next day, had making it. Um, on Wednesday and Thursday, Gogglebox, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, Talk about your sacrificial lambs, though. Right? Like, I agree that they had the clear air on Tuesday night and it would have made sense to play it out. Now, Tuesday's audiences aren't usually as big as Sunday's. We buy that. 
I think that the nature of this season of Survivor would have meant they almost would have had a lay-down Mazair win. It would have been one of their biggest outcomes for the year. And this is, of course, hypothetical. We don't know this. In the same way, I'd also say that they wouldn't have just laid down by having it on Tuesday. We don't know what they could have programmed there that would have meant that it wasn't competitive. I agree. It probably wouldn't have got the 780, 900-something. That it, that they would have it, just put a movie on. They could have put anything on, right? anything. It wouldn't have got survivor numbers. It no. wouldn't have been them just capitulating, though. I can absolutely promise you that. The challenge in the midst of all of this is that they have wasted one of their best seasons of Survivor and one of their best shows this year by moving it into a place where it came third, and we all predicted that. Um, the only reason the winner announced got above 900 was because the block and the voice had both finished by then. Right. That's good to know. If it, if it had finished at the same time, it was screwed. Um, and that's the problem. If it had just run against the block on Tuesday night, right, the block Tuesday's a, a bit of something, something, right? Who cares? If you'd put the Survivor finale on and seen Haley and George battle it out, as it was, <laughs> 10 made the massive misstep of editing down George's speech at the final jury. And this was Jonathan LaPaglia announcing this on Twitter. He said, it's such a shame they cut down George's speech because it was so good in person. So, I mean, he came second, no no question, but if it was so good, why did they cut it out? Maybe they were wanting to kill it for time and do all of the rest of it. It did already run for two hours, but the jury is where it all happens. Cut some of the other shit out that started. They were walking in slow motion for eight minutes at the start of the episode. <laughs> Fuck that off. Right? Walk at double speed so we can hear what George had to say. Um, it is it is it goes up for mine as one of the the worst programming decisions of twenty twenty one, and no one has been able to give me a worse one yet. You and Aaron are in agreement. Let me bring you the results from last night. We Come were on. recording this on Tuesday morning. We had the big, uh, the Mars Singer happening and SAS Australia launch up against the block. Yep. Well, Seven News took one and two spots. Nine, Nine News, News took, three, took and three and four. Boo, who And cares? coming in fifth, the number one entertainment show of the night was The Block on 864,000 on Channel 9. Then it was Current Affair, ABC News. Then the Masked Singer <gasps> launch reveal. So yep. only the block where they took the mask sure, off. the last five Did 760,000. Then we had Home and Away. SAS Australia did 647,000. And the whole episode, minus the reveal of the Masked Singer, did 642,000. So smidge so, under SAS. A mixed bag there. Let Can me... I just say something really quickly about this? Mm -hmm. There's something really lovely that makes me feel good still about Australia, which sometimes is hard to do, that Home and Away is still in the top ratings. There's something simple <laughs> and beautiful <laughs> and wonderful about that. I just heard that. Yeah, I was I like, love wait, what? That. that means that we've we've still we've still got our heart. It's had a resurgence. Only since the Olympics has it been above the 600s, and that's really important because for the first half, two-thirds of the year, it was doing fours and fives. So it's really made a comeback post -season. And I hear these numbers and think about 100 years ago when I was on television, that if you rated below a million, you were uh, losing your TV yeah, show. Long time ago, Sarah. Sarah. Let Sarah. me bring you the shares. Jesus. Let me bring you the shares because seven won the night on 27.3. Nine was just behind on a flat 27%. Network 10 did pretty well on 21.1% ahead of the ABC on 17.4%. I think everyone's got a reason to be happy, happy last night. Um, the Channel 9 will be very happy about the block winning the number one entertainment show. 
10's got good reason to smile. Marsinger was only just behind SAS Australia, but when you include the launch reveal, it it got some good numbers. SAS Australia, I think, is probably a bit soft on 647,000, but we'll see where that goes. I reckon that'll be the best we see from SAS Australia this year. Really? Yeah, I think that the – and I'll talk a bit this about this a little more in the binge box. This is not the first season. They've, they've really amped it up and they've made it more aggressive and it is far more uh, in your face. And uh, it's while, – while it they had to establish its credentials for season one, season two they've just gone harder. And I don't think that that's to its benefit. Too um, much, is it? I haven't seen it yet. I've seen the first three and it's brutal. Like it is – they are in those celebrities' faces in a way that I don't think they were last year. Um, right. And that's going to be a tough one for it. The Mask Singer is a firework again for 10. It'll happen, fizz, and then it'll leaves. Um, so that will be – it's good that it got some decent numbers. I don't know if it'll get much bigger. Probably it will because it built tapers towards the end. The only challenge for that format is that we've all worked out who it is by the time we get to the final episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard some great guesses last night. Kerry-Ann Kennelly um, – of course, Charlotte Crosby, um, Emma But you've Shiano. got to be careful because if you think it's Kerry Ann Kennelly, it could be Gina Riley. Uh, it, look, it very well could be. <laughs> Kerry Ann Kennel. Yes, There's mate. Yes. That's one for the uh, Gen Xs and above. Yes. Um, and, and look, I think <laughs> that the, the block is now in a position to be, uh, you know, in number one in the slot. Just And even though it will taper across the week, it will have its struggles. But now mm. that it's got clear air, nothing will beat it on Sunday nights. It'll be... Uh, Nine's juggernaut again. Aaron, I'll give you a chance to jump in because I know you love your ratings. Your first thoughts? Uh, look, I, if I really had to guess, I was going to go with pretty much everyone was going to get 700,000. I, I, you know, I thought it was going to be a fairly competitive night. Look, I, I was also going to talk about SAS and the binge box too. It actually, actually is my favorite show of the year. I love SAS. It's, it's brutal stuff, but I don't think it's ever going to attract this one point to 1.3 million audience because it is a very hard watch. Like it's actually, I mean, I, I get quite emotional watching the show. It, it's very hard to watch people either physically hurting each other, people being yelled at in their face, being called C's and F's. It, it's actually, yeah, it's really hard. Only if you watch the seven plus version. It sounds like a production meeting <laughs> in any TV show. <laughs> but the only thing that can go from this, I agree with Mulk here. the real military. The only thing, the only place it could go for, the, say, season three is the Hunger Games. We won't be happy unless people are dying on screen. And I'm, I'm, it's it's a bit of a funny joke, but at the same time, um, no one laughed. But also, at the same time, it's... <laughs> so um, it a funny joke. <laughs> so, so, but at the same time, like what Aaron is saying, you've got to go to these extremes. How much more extreme can you go with a show like this, which means... It, it its shelf life is incredible. It's always the short. diminishing returns problem. When you come in with the yeah. next season, the next season, the Unless next season. Unless you kill someone. How can we make it bigger and better and more interesting and blah, blah, blah? Let's kill a celebrity. You don't need to um, up the ante with the show. The thing is, it's, it's with each different celebrity on how it affects them. So it's a completely different season. I mean, watching someone like Bonnie Anderson, I mean, people will see in episode three, there's a w- whole water thing. And what you see and how that transforms her life and hearing about her backstory, it doesn't matter that we, we may have seen something like that last season because it's how it affected Bonnie Anderson. So I actually think it feels like it's completely new in that regard. The only other thing I wanted to say is, that, you know, the, the block, I mean, that is the best improver of the year. It's de- I definitely had a shaky start. Um, it had the whole cheating scandal and it's gone up into that 900,000 sort of one. AKA the block Olympics. Yeah. 
So it, it's actually going it's actually going really well. So you expect that to keep going now with that 800, 900,000 type figures. So I think if anyone kind of missed out, it was probably the Masked Singer. I'd, I would have expected probably maybe a little bit more from that. It's only a three-week event. Um and a lot of people are still in lockdown and people are at home. That's I think on par with last year, though, isn't it? Yep. Again, diminishing returns. It's season three, you know. Like, the, the producers have made a big note of jumping up and down and saying, look, we, we were amazed at the talent that we could get because nobody had anything on, so we were able to get, like, how Vinnie Jones snuck into the country is beyond me, but well done to him. <laughs> yeah, um, he didn't Instagram it, unlike other contestants. That's right. They, he just appeared in the country. No one really knew. No one really knew who he was. Um, but yeah. I, I think that's the problem for all of it. I mean, the block is on season 17. It's gone through diminishing returns twice and had to go and rebuild and go and rebuild, pardon mm. the puns. Um, I, I, I think this is our, all, our our ongoing issue that TV Black Box has with the TV industry, and that is that we just want fresh ideas. Let's not roll out tired, you know, formats that we've seen before or slight variations on a theme. Let's give us new stuff. Let's roll the dice and let's get executives both pumped and ready to back risking new things absolutely hey next week i think for the run sheet that we actually because now we've got these total tv figures it will be interesting to see next week what happens to that i'm guessing my guessing is that sas will improve the most in terms of catch up and all that kind of stuff oh big calls big calls no, well, because I think most people, from a live point of view, want to watch the mask because you want to know who who the reveal is that night. Yeah, you that don't want to hear it before. Yeah, that's essential viewing for Somebody that night. Me. So that I reckon the mask will have the least of the, you know, in the total TV for pickup. Um, then probably the block. Some people watch that live; they want to see the thing. But that's something that you can also catch up on. But SAS, it, you know, it, you can watch sort of. You can enjoy watch. that Schadenfreude later. Yeah, and yeah the problem is that the block episodes. picked up 22% mm. on last week's Sunday episode. So you can't say that the block won't do anything. When it's coming in at, you know, whatever it pulls, one point something, and it pulls 22% more, I mean, it, it feeds I, I, into the I, I, fact I, that sorry, all of them never, will get a kick. I never suggested it wasn't going to pick up more of a noise. I said most people are going to watch the, the, the masked singer live, which means that shows But they like didn't. The, the most people didn't. I think the block is still going to benefit from the fact that everybody's in lockdown and they're looking at how they can make their their prisons nicer. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We've sort of talked a bit about what we're watching, but let's go into it a bit more in depth as we cover the TV binge box. And Robbo, I'll come to you first. What have you been watching? Who? (laughs) You. Oh, sorry. It's my first time. I didn't hear anything. I just yeah. <clears throat> keep this in because this is fun stuff. Uh, this is what I bring to the program. So keep that in. Uh, I, I'm still watching the Goldbergs. I'm watching uh, the Newsreader and oh. the Newsroom, uh, and I'm also uh, watching my show reel. Good work. <laughs> All comedies. <laughs> uh, Sarah, what have you been watching? Ooh, uh, besides YouTube, uh, I've been watching a lot of sailing videos on YouTube this week, but on actual television, um, we watched uh, a bunch of old movies because Matt gets off on playing Whoa. the start of a movie and waiting to oh. see how many seconds it takes me to guess what the movie is. And it really pisses him off when three seconds into the movie I can go off a space. And he's like, Amazing. how do you do it? Uh, and I'm like, because it's traffic with Texas signs. Yeah. Anyway, so um, we watched <laughs> Office Space, 
And then uh, we went for another Mike Judd movie, which was Extract, which is Jason Bateman and Mila Kunis. Um, we watched Oblivion with Tom Cruise, where he plays a thousand versions of himself. Um, and then we watched from 1977, uh, the Kentucky Fried movie, which is <gasps> basically is a bunch of skits. Um, some of them probably would no longer be kosher. Um, <laughs> it's, it was very interesting. Um, and then come to TV land, of course. Can we all guess what Sarah watched? NCIS. You were up to season 10. Um, <laughs> we did watch not known below deck. Uh, we did watch money heist. Um, we finished that whole thing. Um, and then, uh, I got one episode in a billions and nine perfect strangers because that's all they're giving me. And I'm very sad. Yeah, we can. Oh, I love Perfect Strangers. What a what a throwback! No, nine Perfect Strangers. A, it's not. Oh. It's not do the dance of joy. <laughs> not Balky. Oh, oh, not Balky. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, I've been watching um, uh, the Big Bang Theory on loop because, as I do, uh, twenty seconds. I've got to say, I have finished <laughs> the first season of Kevin Can F Himself, mm. and I'm just. So into that show. Yeah, so great. I really want – this is on Amazon Prime Video. I want everyone to watch it. It is just just great TV, great TV. Uh, still watching the newsreader like everyone else. And uh, I, I watched The Circle, which has been a reality TV show that I loved. I loved the English version. Oh, loved. Hang on. And liked the Netflix version for the first couple of series – I do not like the current series. I think it's been badly cast. I think they've lost uh, the understanding of what we like about The Circle. There was a good twist that I we did like. We like something about The Circle? Sorry? That's I didn't. <laughs> and I'm not sure that I'm going to be going back. But with the kids, we're doing Harry Potter and we did Harry Potter 5, I think we did on the weekend. So that was a bit of fun. Aaron, what have you been watching? Oh, I really enjoyed Mirror Mirror. Um, that was on ten. That was one of Mog's recommendations, I think, last mm. week. Um, and it was just really good. If you missed it, um, I'm sure it's on ten play. It would be so. Um, yes. you know, watch that one. Uh, obviously, the Voice Grand Final. I don't think the right person won, but that's the great thing about um, taste being subjective. Um, so someone else might have thought that that Bella was the best, but um, I will also add. For a small exclusive for the TV Black Box, just a small one, that The Voice US, the one, the new uh, one with Ariana Grande as a judge, will be screened on Seven Flicks um, starting on the 26th of September. Um, it's going to be fast-tracked from the US. So that's a little bit of information. Also... Now, I thought about something that we talked about, I talked about last week, which, is, which was Australia's Sexiest Tradie. And I mentioned it and I got a laugh and realised that people thought I tuned in for a perv. Now, I've then realised, um, <laughs> you know, during the week that I don't think any of you guys obviously actually watched this or understood what the show was. This isn't actually a manpower show or with strippers <laughs> and guys and hot air. Oh, I know what it is. That's he's why I'm not watching some, it. He's got some oh. feedback. <laughs> he has to explain himself. <laughs> no, no, because I thought, no, because it was like, oh, Oh, yeah, you know, he loves Jason Momoa and he's watching all these types. But the show is actually an Australian comedy that's filmed mockumentary style, like The Office or Modern Family. So it's about a guy who's entered an Australian radio station uh, contest for Australian sex news trading. But this guy is definitely not a sexy hunk at all. He's more like Poida from Full Frontal. Remember that? Oh, Poida. yeah. Yeah, so he's more like that. So um, the first two episodes weren't so good, but the third episode, I, I just went ahead and watched it. it. It was hilarious, but it's really sort of bad 
Australian toilet humour. But it, it, so it may not be everyone's taste, but that was quite funny. Um, also, Gogglebox. Um, I think it was just great having this back. I miss the gang. Um, so the only thing I hate. I haven't is watched it yet. It's only, <laughs> so good. It's a brilliant return. The only thing that's annoying is, for whatever reason, it must be a rights issue. It's only on ten play for about forty eight hours, and then it's taken off. So it it's on Lifestyle and Foxtel catch up forever. Oh, is it okay? So mm. on ten play, it disappears on Saturday at about midday, and then it's gone. Um, also, a reminder that this uh, Sunday is the season finale of the Newsreader, which will be good. Um, and I said I was going to mention about SAS Australia, so I interviewed Dan Ewing, um, who most people remember as Heath Braxton from Home and Away. He's also done some TV black box and and Robin Robbo. He has. Yeah, he and was he a co-host. But yeah, I mean, I know what Monk said. It, it, it's a re- it's brutal. I, I I just feel to see people break through fear, anxiety, and pressure and achieve something that is far beyond like a particular challenge or being yelled at in your face is just huge. I just you just see through breakthroughs in their whole life. It's I just I absolutely love the show. It's my favorite show of the year. I'm interested to see the um non-celebrity version which is coming up later so because we don't have that preconceived idea about what the celebrities are you don't know who these people are um with the normal one Um, and lastly and this is i'm doing a plug which i don't normally do also look out for a podcast this week with bevan lee and eric thompson um because it's the return of the rafters with um amazon dropping back to the rafters this friday the 17th of september so i do a back-to-back interview with bevan lee and uh, dave rafter himself eric awesome Mm. All right, Mulkey. Um, I'll reverse this in. I'm really torn as to whether or not I watch Back to the Rafters. I kind of felt like the series ended and everything was kind of okay and I'm not sure that I want to catch up with them again. So mm. it's great that there are six episodes coming on Amazon Prime Video, as, as uh, uh, um, Aaron said. I just I just don't know. It's been I've had the, the, the preview sitting in my inbox for a week and I just haven't, yeah, I don't know what that says. It's probably just that I don't. I'm not keen on it. Um, loving that billions is back and uh, and deep deep into that. Gogglebox, what a welcome return! And it's taken only 14 seasons for me to convince my teenagers that Gogglebox is a show worth watching. I still haven't got across the line uh, with my wife, but goodness gracious me, it was delightful. The only thing that I found challenging about Gogglebox was that, understandably, some of the people who are in the show live in LGAs of concern and are currently in lockdown. So, for example, uh, Maddie and Sarah Marie can't be in the same room as their mate Jad. So they've got him, they're basically FaceTiming with him to watch TV. And the edits, they're not in it as much because the quality of the video isn't as good, Mm. which is a a real shame. I get it. I'm glad they've tried to include them. It sucks that the technology is kind of overcoming it. Um, I will say that I dived into only Only Murders in the Building, on Disney Plus, this is the new Steve Martin, Martin Short, um, and Selena Gomez. Oh, I want to watch this. Um, Martin Short and Steve Martin are delightful. Selena Gomez can't act. Shock! Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! No, no, I <laughs> wow. put up with a lot on this podcast, and I won't hear of such <laughs> truth bombs like that. I'm sorry. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> it's it's uh, a- fifty points to Mulk. Um, it's only taking everyone. It's still taking everyone to realise that she can't. She's act. horrendous, and particularly when she is right next to Steve Martin, oh, and Martin Short, half the time. Right, those guys cast. are brilliant, and it's very funny. A great whodunit, uh, and I managed to sneak ahead and see some more episodes, and I cannot wait to see who done it because it's brilliant. Nathan Lane pops up in it as well, and I will watch him in anything. He's yeah. That's a lot of gorgeous. old dudes with one young girl. 
Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's a it's an apartment building in the very expensive part of the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and boy does it show. Um, mm. You get the context when you watch the the, the program. Um, I want to give you that I watched the first episode of Australian Gangster, and I thought originally that it was a um, Paulie Fennick um, piss take. I didn't think that it was real drama. <laughs> Jesus, the accents are horrendous. <laughs> Um, and I can see if it wasn't for the fact that there were legal dramas around it, I can see why they kept it on the shelf. Um, it's not great. I thought that the first season of SA, and that's on seven. I thought that the first season of SAS Australia managed to step carefully around the whole torture porn thing and wrote a review directly in that vein last year. I think that season two, they've just fallen ass backwards into torture porn. It's, um, it's not great. The jury is still out for me. I want to see a couple more episodes, but I just was not impressed. Two big things that I'm stoked about. I got to preview the first episode of Making It Australia on 10. It kicks off Wednesday this week. It is the best. It just is warm and inviting and welcoming and so much fun. Harley Breen and Susie Yusuf are hosts. Absolutely smash it out of the park. Maybe Um, I'll be wrong. Well, maybe you will be. Who knows? And maybe it won't rate either. But I'm going to watch every last minute of that program because I think it is excellent television and a great antidote to just feeling like shit being in lockdown. Um, It's Mm. super, super good. And, again, it's only 10 episodes, so it'll be five weeks and it's done. Um, The one that I do want to warn you about that I think is incredible, season two of Morning Wars slash The Morning Show (gasps) on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm excited. Wow. Um, it's set pre at the start of 2020, so pre-pandemic, and the coronavirus is kind of a subplot across the season, but it is coming straight off the back of season one for those that have seen it and know the big blow-ups and the, um, the yeah. fallout from that. It is incredible. I was transfixed. I just had to go next, 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 next to get through it as quick as I can. It is a weekly drop. So you'll get the first episode this week, the next episode, and so on. I've seen all 10, and I have to keep my mouth shut because holy <gasps> crap. So oh, I can't good. wait. So I'm good. Excited. That's Morning Wars Season 2, Apple TV+. Plus. Excellent. Thank you, Monkey. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of TV Black Box. For more exclusives and insights, go to tvblackbox.com.au and don't forget to sign up for the newsletter by going to tvblackbox.com.au slash newsletter. All right, I'm Rob McKnight. I've been joined by David Robinson, Sarah Monaghan, Aaron Ryan and Steve Mulk. We'll see you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.